Welcome to After Hours with Ashley Demiu. Today we're talking to Emily, founder of Sober and Social, about being sober in your 20s. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today with After Hours with Astrid and Miu. And me, your host, Bella <laughs> Jones. Buckland Jones, if we can use my full name. Um, so we, today we have Emily, the founder of Sober and Social. Talk to me about Sober and Social. So Sober and Social started um, in October 2018. Yes. Um, kind of six months after I decided to go sober. And the whole premise was when I got sober is I didn't want to have to compromise my life. Yeah. I still wanted to go out and still do everything that I did. Um, I thought there must be others that still wanted to sober socialise. So I set up Sober and Social to help empower others and make them feel comfortable and confident socialising sober. So Sober and Social, it's a, is it a night as well as a support kind of group? So or? the best way to describe it is a community that runs monthly events. Great. Um, and we try to do different things, uh, varying from like sober bar crawls to yoga brunches. Mm-hmm. We've done a sober boat cruise. Um, we've taken over a whole nightclub for 200 people. We've done day raves. Wow. So it's really varied. So we yeah. try to keep it really kind of broad in, in what we do. Is that in London or is it all over the country? Uh, at the moment, it's in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, we will expand globally. Um, that will The aim is this year. But I love that. Expand globally. Expand globally. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to think big when, yeah, you're, when you're doing these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so maybe... Late this year or early mm-hmm. next year, that's definitely amazing. Plan. So, <clears throat> obviously, we sent you over um, the questions before you arrived today about three points that have kind of led to you to mm-hmm. here. And one of them was actually the date, 6th of April, going sober. What was what was the catalyst for that? So the catalyst for that, I mean, to be honest, I think it's one of these things that I'd always known I'd have to do someday. Okay. From the moment I started drinking, I really? was like, I probably don't think that um, this is going to end well. Although at times, obviously, it was quite fun. Um, what kind of a drinker were you? Um, my personality is a very all or nothing personality. Uh-huh. So, I feel you, I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> so that translates into every area of your life. Mm-hmm. So then just because you pick up a drink, you can't suddenly be like, oh, I'm going to do this moderately when your whole life is spent, you know, spent doing everything all or nothing. But yeah. I think that kind of translated into my drinking from kind of a really early age. And uh-huh. then obviously in the kind of years leading up to my sobriety, um, it was very off and on. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to this in terms of like their cycle of drinking and not drinking, mm-hmm. doing a month, you know, dry January, yeah. to then kind of drinking again, to then in the summer not feeling that great, so maybe stopping it again. And kind mm. of that was like my cycle for a good three years um, until from 25 to 28. Until then, yeah, on that day, I had a dinner with a client actually, and I remember having a glass of wine and turning to him and just being like, I'm not going to drink ever again. Really? Yeah. That's a really strong way of doing it. I was kind of thinking there might have been something like, you know, maybe something bad happened or it affected... Okay, let me uh, just interject it. So when we say I had a glass of wine, I said I was never going to drink again. I had just come off an epic three-day bender and Uh then picked up a glass of wine and was like, I'm not going to drink again. Right, okay. (laughs) So So I was like, that one glass, what wine was it? (laughs) I need to get a bottle. So although that sounds quite, you know, civilised, it it actually wasn't that civilised. Right, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so... And it was from that point that you were just like, right, that's it. So, mm. and you were what, 28 at the time? Yeah. 
What was the response from your friends and stuff? Because I know that previously I've kind of gone months where I've decided I'm not drinking, various different reasons, and everyone's been a bit of a dick about it. I've never had anyone be like, yeah, you know, that's good, you go for it. They're always like, oh, what? Oh, you're so boring, but oh, but it's my birthday. Well, can't you do it when we go out this night? And it's like, there's all these excuses and reasons to drink, and it's just yeah. like, what if I just don't want to? Like, Yeah, I think there's very much the culture of, oh, just have one. Yeah. It will be okay. Or it's my birthday. We need to celebrate. Or we're going on a Hindu or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think because I had been so off and on with my drinking for so many years. Right. It was kind of like people didn't really like, especially my friends, they didn't really know whether we were going home at 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. Right. Yeah. 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 Not drinking. So I think by the time that I was like, I'm not drinking tonight, mm. they were like, oh, well, she'll be back on it again right. in a few weeks not uh-huh. really thinking oh that this is going to stick because mm. the amount of times that I told myself I told my friends I told my family you know oh well, I'm not drinking ever again mm. which I think a lot of us can relate to when we wake up on a hangover, Every hangover. Just being I'm, like, I'm not doing this yeah, again yeah. and then you know we, it comes to Friday and you're like oh actually I feel okay yeah I'll just have a nice chilled glass, glass of red yeah on like chardonnay was my favorite <laughs> yeah. um and then yeah and then you're back in the cycle again mm. so i think for me it was it was easy to tell people in a sense because i i just think no one really believed me yeah and then yeah. like three months later and they're like oh are you gonna have a drink i'm like no 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 i've, mm. I've kind of you know decided to do this and then i think people see how much of a positive effect it has yeah. on your life so actually your friends and i think people that love you and the people that you still want in your life are genuinely happy that that's the decision that you've made. Did you find that kind of separate the men from the boys, like the people that you just probably drank with versus the people that are there for the journey? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in that sense, I have been really lucky mm-hmm. that a lot of my kind of really good friends and my school friends that have kind of known me for a really long time and we've been through kind of different stages of our lives together. Mm. Um, there's been a few people that I don't see, um, but... I think that's just natural with any big change. Yeah, you just aren't on the same kind of path anymore. You're Mm. not doing the same things in your spare time. You don't have as much in common, all of these things. And actually, when you meet up with someone, you're like, we kind of only had the fact that we drank together in common. And when you take that away, it's like, (laughs) what do we talk about? Yeah, You know, so I have had that. Yeah. On a, you know, small scale, but I can definitely relate so to it. So it wasn't painful. That's quite good, I suppose. Yeah. I was very lucky with yeah. my friends that yeah. everyone was really supportive and that, you know, you just find new ways of connecting with people. Mm. So what would you say the biggest benefits have been so far? I mean, obviously it's expensive to drink, especially in London. Yeah. But have there been any sort of surprising ones that have, that you didn't expect? Um, I think at times, because I had obviously been on the on and off journey with my drinking, I always knew how good it would be. But there Mm. was always something that would make me go back to it because, you know, it seemed like un... What's the word? Unfathomable? Unfathomable. Sorry, I can't pronounce things. Unfathomable? Or unobtainable. (laughs) Yeah. That I would, you know, be able to go sober. So when I finally did go sober, it was like all these benefits that I found, for example, like sleeping better Mm. better skin feeling more positive having more energy feeling more focused saving money yeah um, 
feeling just like kinder as a human being like being able to actually when i hear that list i'm just like why are you still drinking yeah <laughs> like, it, it is amazing there are so many benefits kind of like looking at how much it does change your life mm. and even from the food that you eat to obviously not having delivery on speed dial yeah and actually having mcdonald's breakfast please yeah, exactly. <laughs> i want a hash brown take out the egg yeah oh or like a, or a happy meal with six chicken nuggets on the side was nice. my <laughs> ultimate favorite and yeah. um, i actually haven't had I haven't had McDonald's in two years. Shit. Like, I just haven't McDonald's had McDonald's. McDonald's is drunk food. I just don't want it. Yeah. Like, when else are you going to order a kebab? You're going to have to be drunk. Like, I don't think I've ever had a sober kebab. No one can eat a kebab sober. <laughs> I mean, I, I, just, a lot I don't think I'd want to give it a go. <laughs> There's a lot of industries that, that rely on us all being over. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah, exactly. McDonald's wouldn't be uh, franchised globally if people didn't drink alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> My God. That's, that's why actually... Leon's doing so well, because people are mindfully drinking now. Yeah. And the Love Burger from Leon is, is a hit, whereas I feel like a few years ago, people yeah. just wouldn't be buying into that. No. You just want something greasy to like... Exactly. Numb out the, pain. the hate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to me about... When you found out you had dyspraxia at university, because that is really, really interesting. I'm dyslexic, and mm-hmm. I found out when I was quite young. Yeah, and I know that they're in, they're really linked. Yeah, and I haven't been checked, but I do fall over a lot. Oh yeah, so <laughs> like, it used to be cool with the clumsy child thing, though. Yeah, yeah. we're not allowed to call it that anymore because it's <laughs> not uh, PC not enough. Clumsy child syndrome. <laughs> it's quite cute though. Yeah, it kind of makes it sound like probably a lot less um, upsetting and debilitating than it actually is. Yeah. So how did you find out that you were dyspraxic? So throughout school, I'd always felt, I'd always really struggled with really simple tasks. Mm-hmm. So it could be anything from like, I found it really difficult to do my shoelaces up. Mm. I was really behind on like learning to tell the time. Mm. I could never do my school tie. Um, when people like, when we did rounders, I'd find it really hard to catch the ball. Yeah. Or like in assembly when everyone was clapping, like I couldn't like clap in time with everyone else. Wow. Like, all these really like, you know, minor tasks yeah. that the whole world seemed to be able to do, but I couldn't do. And Which, I just felt very out of place. Yeah, no one would notice or think anything of that. But being a kid, you'd think you feel really different, I guess. Yeah, really different. And especially when it came to things like maths or mm-hmm. anything quite complicated. Um, and learn like my alphabet for example and my times tables like the amount of times my mum would be like if you learn your you know six times table on the way to school we'll go for a hot chocolate after school Aww. or we'll go to uh, Hamley's and buy you a teddy bear or whatever it was yeah. um but I could never that wasn't it. a choice no it's it was not thing. it wasn't for me and it and it really struggled mm. um and even now I still don't know my alphabet or my times table and I've somehow survived yeah um but you just adapt i think you totally adapt and i think that when you have so it's kind of like i've been reading a lot of stuff about you know if you're dyslexic you find these way rounds mm, so you exactly. have to, like, in that workaround you actually have like really good different way of viewing the world yeah and actually a lot of really successful people are dyslexic or dyspraxic or mm. have add or whatever it is because yeah. you have to you have to see something from a different perspective and when you have that different perspective you can come up with new solutions and you kind mm. of you you have to you know you can i think you just have like a unique way of looking at the world in that unique vision yeah there is power yeah definitely whereas you know because like we are made to kind of you know there's these little boxes we have to sit in and you kind of do this by this age and you then go and do this and you leave school you go to university and there's this timeline that's like you're supposed to like fit into Mm. in the society that we live in with education formal education yeah formal education versus the informal education that you get (laughs) 
basically the, the education system yeah. that we all have to go through. Yeah, exactly. So when you're not in that, yeah, you have. So I feel like your superpower is massively. You are incredibly social. And you can tell immediately, you're like really empathic. You really lock into people. You can read people in about 30 seconds and you're just like, that's something you probably had to do to cover up. Um, I couldn't tie my shoelace. Yeah, I'm just going to talk at you and still pretend to do my shoelace up so no one noticed. Yeah, but you come (laughs) up with those solutions. I used to come up with solutions for not being able to like spell properly or like do maths. Like maths for me is still like a different language. Yeah, that's an absolute no-go. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think... The only way that I can kind of describe it is that like the really simple things in life I really struggle with. Actually, when it comes to complicated things and like seeing solutions and thinking logically, yes. I can really do that when other mm. people can't really see it. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, you still get to the destination, mm. but the way that you go is a very different way to other people. <laughs> but ultimately you still get where you need to be, but you yeah. just do it in a in your kind of unique way and not the kind of the set way that you would think you would need to. So how did they actually diagnose it? Um, because I think when I was at university, they were like, she's very slow. And like, was, it was obvious that I was very behind everyone else. Mm. What did you study um, at university? Events management. Okay. So it affected me when it came to like writing or reading and they would be doing kind of, you know, the, the segments in the class. And I'd always be asking, oh, can you repeat that? Or mm. could you go through that again with me? And all of these things that was moving at such a fast pace, I couldn't really keep up. On top of the fact that it was like an accountancy uh, element to, yeah. to the degree where, you know, that was just an absolute no-go for me. Yeah, that just literally fills me with dread, the thought of even having to do anything like Awful. accountancy. <laughs> and, even, and even with that, I, I had a tutor for like two hours a week um, for like a year. Mm. And even after all that tuition, I probably spent like four hours in that exam I think you're only meant to do it in an hour but I, felt, I think they felt so sorry for me oh <laughs> they gave me literally like three four hours yeah but even that like and annoyingly I was only one mark of, of passing but I still <gasps> failed that even after all of that even after yeah. all that training um so I think because of those things they were then like, I think you should probably go see a learning specialist mm-hmm. and then obviously that's what we got tested for Right. So I was like, okay, well, at least this all makes sense now from Mm -hmm. kind of the age of like 10 and being at school and not really feeling like I fitted in and not feeling good enough. And everyone was so much more intelligent than I was. And then it kind of. It's not an intelligence, it's just a form of perceived intelligence. 100%. Yeah, I think like it doesn't mean that I was less intelligent, but I think at the time that's how it felt. Yeah. Um, And then to kind of have a reason as to why I'd felt that way was was a relief yeah I bet but I think I kind of then look at that with my drinking and think that kind of made sense then why I would want to numb out those feelings mm. and why maybe I did drink to the extreme because actually I found it really difficult mm. dealing and processing with those feelings and emotions about myself growing yeah, up of course so what kind of a drunk were you um, I mean, a lot of people say that they can't really tell the difference between oh, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Which is quite worrying. No, that's uh, also good, though, that you weren't like, you know, because I've got friends that are like Jekyll and Hyde when they have a drink. It's like, wow, where did you come from? I think definitely when I was younger, mm-hmm. I was. But I think as you move up into like being an adult and into work and, you know, you're drinking with clients and all of these things it's just like that's not appropriate so you can't be behaving how you were when you were like 13 and 14 yeah. and I think you were very much 
trying out alcohol weren't you when you were mm-hmm. younger whereas as you get older I think you get more clever about your drinking especially if you're doing it to the extreme because you're like well if I want to fit this in my life and if I don't want anyone to notice mm. that perhaps I've got a drinking issue I need to be really smart about my drinking right so you felt that your drinking was a problem yeah disordered drinking versus it was definitely an issue for mm-hmm. me that's definitely yeah like not uh not in question when I decided that I needed to stop mm. drinking because it was to the point where it was like, if I carry on, um, it's not going to end well. Mm. So, yeah. Was it kind of like missing days from work or... Yeah. I mean, everyone making... I mean, I know that I've made a lot of regretful decisions when I've been drunk. Yeah, I mean, I kind of got to those kind of like last few months where I'd already used all of my sick days um. uh, when we got to April. And I didn't really have... I'd kind of like... You go through all these excuses, don't you? Like, I don't know, four in the morning with your friends. Like, oh, what are we going to say today? You know, yeah. my dog died. We, <laughs> yeah. Is there a plumber coming? Yeah. Like, I've got a nosebleed. Because the, the flat's yeah. um, Whatever it might be. And I was like, I don't actually have any excuses left. Mm. And I don't actually have any sick days left. And I don't really have anywhere to hide anymore. Mm. And like, t- to show, you know, how to kind of overcome this without really telling anyone or like it being noticeable so yeah I think that was a point for me where it's just like okay you're gonna need to sort yourself out I mean I think that's part of the problem though because it's you know within saying it was you and your friends because drinking is so ingrained in our culture as Brits you know everyone if everyone's doing it together it's not a problem exactly you know so if everyone's going out and getting trashed on a Tuesday and everyone's going out I used to have something called Tuesday club so I'd go out and get drunk every Tuesday because that's when the hangover would really kick in from the weekend yeah I'd be like suicide Tuesday let's go and get drunk yeah we'd have manic Monday manic Monday this is it <laughs> Tuesday these... tiffles and then it was like what was on coping Wednesday? mechanisms to con- Wednesday or something as well <laughs> weird Wednesdays or something and obviously thirsty Thursdays Friday feelings and like every day we're like oh yes let's go drink it's, there's a know, reason yeah, yeah totally um I think it is really ingrained in what we do and I think Mm. you only have to know how ingrained it is when you go out for even just dinner with a girlfriend for example and if you were to say to someone oh I'm not drinking tonight the disappointment in someone's face because they want to share a bottle of wine and that's what they think is like social when they go out to eat is Mm. to or how we connect with people is by sharing a bottle of wine together and that's on a really small scale so you think like what actually people feel going on a night out or going clubbing or going to an occasion that that's they think oh we can't not go to a wedding and not drink or we can't not go to Ibiza and not drink or we can't not go to a rave and not drink or or whatever it is and do you not granted that might not be for everyone some people I think especially I know a lot of people that have gone sober that like I generally actually don't really enjoy going out yeah and the reason why I went out and drank was because I could drink and I could kind of like have that high and have that like experience but now that's taken away that's not something that I enjoy yeah um whereas for me I I really enjoy those things but I think that is the benefit of going sober Mm. is that it allows you to really think okay what does really light me up and what does make me feel fun and what do I really enjoy Mm. whereas the whole time we're drinking we don't really get to ask ourselves those questions no because you're just doused in booze and not thinking yeah everything seems fun yeah exactly until the next morning well yes (laughs) quite I think that it's probably have you found so obviously you've got this um you've got this whole community of sober people that you're now engaged with yeah have you found it easier for women to be sober than men because I know, so for example, my husband loves a drink. Mm-hmm. He's Welsh, so he's basically a mute until he has a drink. <laughs> um, but then it's like he needs that drink to cut through his social anxiety. Mm. 
because he that you know you're, you don't you're not a different person when you've had a drink but it just gives you that freedom I'm an oversharer. I'm basically the same when I'm drunk. Sometimes I'm very similar to you in that sense. <laughs> but um, I know that for him, not drinking, he would really struggle from a social perspective. And mm-hmm. um, what's been the feedback from guys? Have they found like any kind of solutions to that? Yeah, I do think men find it harder, but I mm-hmm. think in general they find it harder to be in touch with their emotions, yeah, to absolutely. kind of talk about their feelings, mm-hmm. and there is kind of this culture where they have to, you know be seen to be be part of the the group and all of these mm-hmm. things so I think there is a lot more pressure and I also just think like in general that like, that is how we have learned to be social yeah like you know I think I was drinking from the age of 13 or even maybe 12 was my first drink yeah same. But you haven't really lived a lot of your life between mm. between you starting to integrate alcohol and teaching your brain this is how I have fun this is how I socialize this is yeah. how I connect with others so from kind of like you think from 12 to 28, that's 16 years. I mean, that's over longer than I've, you know, half over than I've been alive for. Yeah. Um, and at the very beginning of my kind of adulthood and finding out who I am. So remove that at 28 and yeah, people are going to find it difficult because that's what you've always taught yourself that you need. Mm. And I think especially when it comes to men, you've got that ingrained in them as well because that's mm. what they've always used. And just the culture of, you know, not being able to connect and talk about emotions and having to be part of, you know, the boys club. Cause everyone's yeah, it's macho. macho or I can yeah. drink, you know, oh, he's the last one standing or, you know, there's this, again, it's just a bit like toxic masculinity is completely entwined with drinking I think as well yeah and I think even when you hear in kind of the sober space um particularly on kind of like Instagram or where maybe you might look to get your inspiration there is definitely a lot more kind of females spearheading the sober movement Mm. than there kind of is males um and I think maybe uh that's where kind of uh, AA comes into play a bit more because mm. it's anonymous and I think maybe men feel a bit more comfortable going there and kind right. of talking in those kind of environments. Structured. Than, yeah, when yeah. no one else is going to know that you've been there or, mm. you know, you've kind of, it's the same thing every week so you feel kind of safe in that environment. Whereas I think women are more likely to kind of write about it or yeah. set up an Instagram account or talk to their friends or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Whereas I think men, yeah, find that difficult yeah reach out for that I mean I suppose we are lucky that I know that I have a really amazing support network of females and my husband um he has mates and he's got a couple that he'll like maybe talk about feelings to other than that nah yeah he'll go and play football he'll go to the pub he'll go and like be a lad yeah and it's just like well you know it's not like he doesn't have any feelings and emotions so where are they going to find that kind of support I mean how do you have you been to AA I mean I don't know what your relationship to AA is um I did go to a few meetings Mm -hmm. in the beginning um I've said this before I'm not neither for or against AA Mm -hmm. in any capacity um I believe in like a 360 degree approach to our sobriety and finding ways which work for us as individuals I don't think there's one set way that works for us just like in other areas of our life Mm -hmm. I think it's really finding out what works for you Mm. um for me personally, I think because I set up Sober and Social, mm. I had that accountability. And yeah. I kind of already, you know, once you put it out there and you've started something called Sober and Social, yeah. guess what? You have to be sober and you have to be social. So, <laughs> so yeah, for me, I, I didn't necessarily go down that route. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people that have and I know that a lot of people it has worked for. Yeah. So talking about you setting up Sober and Social, so you've been through the journey 
you've had a tumultuous relationship with booze. It's been good. It's been bad. It's been everything. And you're like, you know what? This is enough. Yeah. At what point are you like, right, I need to create a better space for me? You know, are you going out and are you looking for stuff and it's not existing? So where did it kind of... Um, where did so the need- three years previously to actually launching it was the idea that I came out of Sober and Social. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I, and put I it remember, out to the universe. Put it out to the universe yeah. and it came to me. Yeah. Finally, when I finally managed to stay sober. Yeah. The minor detail in this whole business plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that had kind of had to happen. But I, I had the ideas for it before, like a few years previously. Mm-hmm. And I do remember Googling at the time and definitely around that time there wasn't anything else kind of um event wise there was club soda which is amazing i love everything that they do um but there wasn't much else and club soda is club soda is a mindful drinking movement right okay um and they do amazing festivals um they just did one in january actually kind of over ten thousand people attend the festival oh wow um, they do kind of meetups all, all around the country um, a lot to do with policies and yeah promoting like mindful drinking mm. is is what they do what is the definition of mindful drinking because that's new to me okay so mindful drinking you'd obviously be thinking okay what have I got planned this week mm-hmm. I only want to drink once this week and it's so-and-so's birthday on a Friday so I'm gonna go out on Friday and I'm only gonna have three small glasses of white wine and it's yeah. really kind of like looking at your life and just being more mindful about what you are consuming and what you're putting in your body rather than going on a night out, doing loads of shots, having a Jaeger bomb, down yeah. a bottle of wine and feeling horrific the next day. Yeah. It's really kind of putting those boundaries in place and just looking at where it is really important for you, in your eyes, important for you to be drinking, mm. aka maybe a friend's birthday where you want a few glasses of champagne, but obviously not overdoing it mm. mindful drinking for me it's not something that i can do right yeah <laughs> because it's, again i'm very all or nothing and yeah. that sits in the very mid ground but i do know a lot of people that can mindfully drink and i definitely think it's a thing and i think it's achievable um and i also think for some people a level of abstinence is important and then they can come back and they can mindfully drink mm. um, again i don't think that'll be an option for me but i've seen people do it and i've seen them do it quite successfully yeah i call that drinking like a grown-up i'm i'm trying (laughs) (laughs) what was your first memory of drink of alcohol being around you i mean what's your family's relationship to alcohol like i'm interested in um so they actually have quite a healthy relationship with alcohol uh my dad isn't a massive drinker um and yeah mum's more of a kind of social out with girlfriends type of drinker never been one to kind of have a bottle of wine at home watching the tv which i think a lot of people do yeah but um, that's such a knee-jerk reaction and it's like i've got to the point where i can't have one in the house because if it's there i'm like oh, i yeah, must have a little glass off. in front of a bake-off or whatever and then it's gone and you're like oh should we get another bottle <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's easily done i think yeah. especially so there we go that's that would not be mindfully drinking no that's not <laughs> just as an eg as to what it is and yeah. what it isn't <laughs> all the things i do are Sitting not mindfully drinking coronation street omnibus with three bottles of wine <laughs> it's, it's not mindfully drinking <laughs> yeah i mean you know it happens <laughs> so yeah i wasn't necessarily brought up in a family where it was there it wasn't was, a lot of booze around no 
I think as well with the alcohol side in the family, it was it was always at like family occasions, like yeah, you know, Sunday roast would be a nice bottle of red, yeah, Christmas Eve, you know, champagne, like it was always around, uh-huh. but but it's not like you didn't grow up with alcoholism in your family or no. anything like that or any addiction. Have you no. got siblings? No. Oh, okay. So. Only child, which I think my mum's very happy about. Yeah. She's like, this was, you know, way too much for me. So I'm so, <laughs> I'm so glad that there's only one of you. <laughs> um, and are they, I mean, obviously, they are, they're probably pretty supportive with the whole setting up of Sober and Social. How do they feel yeah. about the situation? Yeah, I think my mum, more than anything, is like relieved because I think like for her... Like any mum is, um, and especially when I was living at home, I think when I was drinking, she would always sit up and wait for me to come home. Oh, bless her. And she was just like, now I know that you stopped drinking. Um, I find it comforting because like you call me on the way home and I know that like if anything was to happen that you would be of like in a good position to deal with it where she's like, I'd always be worrying about when you're walking home late at night in London that if you weren't, you know, of your normal mind what what could happen especially yeah. being a woman in london especially being more vulnerable and yeah. not being you know being able to kind of make good decisions make good decisions yeah exactly mm. so i think she's kind of relieved and sleeps a lot better oh that's amazing <laughs> so we've been through our little journey mm-hmm. i'm now gonna ask you a few um extra questions okay a little quick fire round. sometimes it's quick sometimes it's not the first <laughs> thing i'm asking you is sober sex yeah I mean, we briefly discussed, we briefly discussed it before. Mm-hmm. I would probably be a virgin if I couldn't drink. Yeah. Like, I just don't know how. Like, I literally, at one point, I remember fancying a guy. This sounds really bad, doesn't it? And him being like, oh, yeah, I'm sober. And just me being like, there's absolutely no way we can go out of each other because I couldn't have sex with him for the first time sober. Yeah. I mean, but I did also didn't want to be the drunk one because that would be even worse, right? Be like, hey, baby. Like, <laughs> like, swinging my knickers around my head in the corner. Traumatise like, him. Can you sit down now, please? <laughs> They're about to take our order. <laughs> you know, so. Tell me, how has that been? Because it's been how many years now that you've been sober for? Um, so it will be two years this April. Muzzle tov, first of all. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's really good. And how? Um, yeah, tell so, me. Yeah, I would say with sober sex, it's definitely not as often. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because you're actually making good judgments. Yeah. And actually, I think you respect yourself and you respect your body. Oh, absolutely. And it all becomes, what's the word? You, you just tend to look after yourself more. And actually, mm. casual sex for me doesn't make me feel good. It mm. actually makes me feel really awful about myself. And it's almost like a short-term thing versus a long-term thing Mm. which I think our decision to drink also relates in the same it's like we feel really good in the moment but actually long term we feel horrific because we're hungover for three days and I think that kind of relates when we're having sex with people as well that is kind of out of a relationship and out of an environment where we feel kind of like safe and loved and respected Mm. and I think by just giving your body to someone when you've just met them actually they don't really respect that and probably aren't going to hear from them again yeah no I agree. Um, and then when someone you know doesn't message you back or doesn't see you again that's not good for your soul and no. it's just not good for how you your own um self-worth i think yeah. that it really yeah damages mm-hmm. so for me yes okay my sex life isn't as vibrant as it <laughs> as it once was when i was drinking but that's because i've put 
strong boundaries in place in that which I think that everyone could do with I know that when I was single and I was just like and it's like you kind of it's so true you get to the tipping point and you think oh it's fine I'm having fun and actually yeah oh I'm empowered women I can choose to go and have casual sex and then actually some days I'd be like no that wasn't healthy and I didn't do that out of a place of love I did that out of a place of yeah. not liking myself very much yeah and I think I always use sex as like validation so yes. I, I needed that to kind yeah, of like yeah, yeah. validate me being attractive and validate me being worth something because some man would want me mm-hmm. and actually when I've taken that away it's like no I validate myself and I feel good in myself yes. I don't need another human being to do that for me no. and if I am going to give someone my body and if I am going to have sex with someone it's going to be because I feel loved and respected and appreciated not just because I'm on a night out and I feel like I need to get something from someone to feel good yeah which in the long term doesn't work it makes you feel horrific that's an amazing amazing message which i wish i'd heard when i was in my 20s <laughs> me too <laughs> um, um so i wanted to know what the best and worst reactions to your sobriety have been um so the best reactions are just actually do you know what well, the, some of the best reactions the nicest reactions are people that come up to me and that have followed me on instagram and come up to me and say you know you really inspire me to stay sober which I think is amazing that's fantastic and really so nice to think because you know some and social media definitely isn't my strong point so to know that (laughs) so to know that someone somewhere is getting the message (laughs) and is actually reading all my posts um is actually quite nice but to know that actually on a wider level that even if it does helps one person to like drink less or to stop Mm. drinking then actually doing sober and social is worthwhile the worst reaction i mean i was at an event and i was sitting next to this guy and he was sipping champagne and i think i was having a elderflower presse lovely um which is very refreshing (laughs) (laughs) and he kind of looked at me and he was like oh are you not drinking champagne i was like i don't drink and he's like well i don't talk to people that don't drink what? And like slaunted uh, off into the corner. Dick. And this was at the beginning of my sobriety. And I was like, oh, like are people not going to talk to me now? I don't drink. But what would be his motivation for saying that though? Probably because he's got a drinking problem. Yeah. I would imagine. And to be honest, I say this a lot. Like when I was at a party and I was drinking and there was a sober person at the party, I have to say the last thing I would want is to end up speaking to the person that wasn't drinking because it was actually a reflection of something that I found so difficult not to do Mm. and brought up all those painful emotions about what I felt within myself actually speaking to them was really difficult for me Mm. so I think that knee-jerk reaction of people and it's very easy to judge people and be like they're an arsehole they're an idiot but actually what are they dealing with and what are they going through and that's how I kind of looked at that situation rather I mean obviously I did feel a bit that's a very balanced and empathic again your superpower super empath um way of looking at it whereas I've just been I'll probably chuck my old flower presser on him but (laughs) (laughs) you know again maybe I need to deal with my issues um but I do always think that in that situation I think I mean you know, you might be judging me right now, but who's going to be waking up with the hangover? Yeah. Not me. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I suppose being in social situations and being sober, so I didn't drink for like a good summer. I've done it a few times. I think I'm kind of like in and out. Like oh, well, let me know if you want to come join the wild side. I'm here to take you out on your social sober adventure. I'm really not good at doing the social sober thing because I always used to say, so I'm like, right, I'm not drinking this summer. And 
to be honest with you, I always I only looked for other ways I could get out of my face. So I started like going to loads of cacao ceremonies and doing like um, Kundalini yoga where you like basically hyperventilate in some way to try oh, and I get love high. It. Okay, you're doing like sign me up for all of those things. <laughs> like any other way that I could do it. But also when I'd go to the pub, drunk people repeat themselves so all much. the time. Yeah. And you don't notice if you're drinking too, I like, oh my god, I so the best story. Dave told me that you like found a cat. And then like if you're there <laughs> and you're the sober one, you're like, Yeah, oh what you found a cat, Dave, yeah, wicked. Oh, the cat, yeah, I know, Dave, you, you've already told me. Fuck, fifth time, shut up, Dave. I don't care about the cat. Like it just rolls and rolls. So, yeah. at, the, at the events you do, is it just like no drink whatsoever? No drinking. Like 100% sober? 100% sober. I think I said this before, but I do get a few people asking if they can bring a hip flask to the event. Really? Uh, <laughs> like, absolutely not. No, you can't. Um, like, go to a nightclub and do that if you need to get Yeah, drunk. that kind of defeats the object, right? Like, just don't come to a sober event if you want to drink. Yeah. Like, honestly, there's so many other avenues you can go down to drink alcohol. Yeah. Probably coming to a sober and social event just isn't for you. Mm. Um, but what I love about Sober and Social and the events is that, yes, it does build a really strong community, but we are open to everyone. And there mm. are a lot of people that are still drinking that come to the events because they want to like explore a different night out or well, they're be up, not you know, drinking. Well, invite you, myself. you are like welcome. Yeah, every, invite myself. Every event. I expect <laughs> to see you there. Yeah, that in the corner. <laughs> You'll be like, has she? Hasn't she? I can't tell. <laughs> um, that's really that's it's it's an exciting thought to think you could actually go out and have fun and not wake up full of hate like yeah, self-loathing yeah. and like smelling weird and like sticky exactly why am I sticky <laughs> Wait, I mean that might not be the alcohol <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could be I mean it's happened God knows it's happened, <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. You know. so that's like on a Thursday for example that's why I always do the sober bar calls on a Thursday because mm. I'm not going to do them on a Monday night where people are probably still suffering from the weekend mm. and no one really wants to drink on a Monday well Unless you're me, I love to drink on a Monday. Yeah. But most people don't want to drink on a Monday. Yeah. And um, so it's really important for me to do it on like Thursdays where it's like thirsty Thursdays. And that's the day of the week where it's like Thursday is the new Friday. Yeah. Very ingrained in us, especially in London. That mm-hmm. That's what we should do to kind of put people in that environment without alcohol and see how they connect and see how they kind of uh, mm. cope with not drinking on a Thursday and doing a sober bar crawl. Yeah. Again, you would think of doing a bar crawl. But would you ever think of doing a sober bar crawl? Probably no. not. So I'd kind of want to introduce things that really do change people's perceptions of how they do feel about alcohol and how they feel about themselves and how they feel about connecting with others and try and change that slightly. Amazing. Um, so what did you want to do when you grew up? This is a question I ask quite a lot of people, but I think it's really telling. <laughs> okay, so the first thought, of course, was... I wanted to be an air hostess. Amazing. On Virgin, because it looked really glamorous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was a slight issue because uh, I'm four foot ten. Uh, you have to be five foot two. Oh, is that the, so, is that the cutoff point? <laughs> so you couldn't reach the... Couldn't reach the thing. If there the, was an emergency, you'd all be fucked. <laughs> uh, sorry, I shouldn't swear. You'd all be, if there was an emergency, you'd all be in big trouble. Um, yeah, because we wouldn't be able to get out on the plane. Oh. So, and then I did... Uh, my one of my first jobs was waitressing, mm-hmm. and because I was dyspraxic, yeah, the old clumsy child syndrome, yeah, carrying two cappuccinos, I actually threw accidentally a cappuccino over this man um, who was on a date with his wife, and oh. then tried to pat him down with the serviette, <laughs> and I didn't go down too well. And my boss was like, "Right, you're behind the bar for the rest of the evening." So, oh and I could imagine probably that lesson to then being an air hostess doing it on the plane with turbulence oh, no. would be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of glad that I wasn't mm. um, 
you know, tall enough to do it because I, I, pro- <laughs> I probably wouldn't have lasted very long. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to go in and deal with people. And I always wanted to do events, actually. Mm. I did events management at uni. Mm-hmm. And the first job that I got was in a pub. Yeah, that's what I loved. Oh, I did drama as well. Okay. Because, you know, who doesn't like yeah. being dramatic? Yeah, yeah. It was great. Fully signed up for could, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you weren't being like dramatic and drinking. You could be like dramatic during the day. Yeah. Which was great. Um, so I always knew I kind of wanted to be, you know, kind of out there, like mm. speaking to people, running events. Um, um, last question is what's next? What is the plan? I know we're going to go for global domination. Yeah. The step before that, what's happening next? What are there any events coming up this this summer that we can be talking uh, about? Yes, so the next event is the twenty seventh of March. Okay, which is going to be a sober supper club. Oh, nice! Which is exciting. Um, in April, we've got a sober bar crawl on the twenty third of April. Mm-hmm. May we have a lovely brunch and then a mindful walk. Um, June, we're looking at doing pride party. Oh, amazing. Uh, so the pride. Wow. Pride. That's not something I've ever experienced. Neither have I. So it's going to be a first for all of us. Um, I'm doing it. We're looking, I'm doing it with my friend Scott. He runs an amazing page called Sober and Proud. Great. Um, so that's very much in the works. And then we'll definitely do on the kind of bigger scale, the day rave in October. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we'll probably take out, we did a box takeover in January. Uh, this the year. box, the box, yeah. the box sober, as in the box sober, yeah. Oh, it was quite the treat for everyone that came because uh, most people have never, never entered or left the place sober. No, no, wow. <laughs> so it was the first time for everyone, um, and, yeah. and it was such a success, and it was, it was an amazing night, maybe one of the best nights of my life. Fantastic. Uh, so we'll probably do that again in January. So uh, monthly events still, yes, uh, bigger and better events. And where do people find out about them? At sober underscore and underscore social or www.soberandsocial.com beautiful however you would like to navigate me please feel free for either one thank you so much it's been so 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 lovely to meet you thank you and thank you for joining us on After Hours with Astrid Mew anytime woohoo <laughs> thank you for listening to After Hours by Astrid and Mew make sure you subscribe to our podcast and if you've enjoyed this episode please leave us a review See you back here next week for a brand new episode.